From MPB Think Radio, this is Deep South Dining, the show all about food, the people who prepare food, and all about Southern food culture. Hi, I'm Malcolm White. I am here with my buddy Carol Puckett. We'll be your host for the next hour, guiding you through Mississippi's great culinary landscape. Today is our very first show as your new host, and we appreciate you allowing us in to your homes and to your cars, to your kitchens, wherever it is you're hanging out today, because we envision a truly delicious show coming your way. Although we are our new host, one thing remains the same. This is an interactive show, and Carol, you know what that means. We want people to call. So let us hear from you. Let us know what's going on by calling one 877 mpb ring That's one 672 This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Well, good morning. This is Malcolm White. I am here with my great buddy, Carol Puckett. Hi, Mal. And we are your new voices and hosts of Deep South Dining. We hope today is the beginning of a long and delicious relationship and a journey through Mississippi's great food landscape. As you know, uh, I have participated in the food business for many years, co-owner of Hal and Mal's. I'm also grateful to be the executive director of the Mississippi Arts Commission. Today, I brought a great friend of mine along to join this journey, old Carol Puckett. And Carol is, she and I have been friends for many, many years. And I guess we met back in the late 70s, early 80s, when you had opened the Everyday Gourmet. Is that right? That's right. And since then, we've traveled um, many food miles together. Um, But yeah, I opened the Everyday Gourmet in 1981. And uh, it was really the first gourmet store of its type. It was first cooking school right. of, its, of its type. So you had a cooking kitchen as well as a retail shop? Oh, yes. The the cooking school was really what we were known for. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, it was my contention that Southerners, I mean, how who better than to come to a gourmet store or cooking school than uh, people from Mississippi, and we didn't really have anything like that at the time. So this pre uh, preceded uh, the Viking cooking schools and all the others. All that right. we were the first cooking school in Mississippi, and in fact, in in several states, we had customers who who would drive in from several states. But our cooking school not only had basic classes, but we introduced people like Martha Stewart and Jacques Pepin, and a young guy named Emeril Lagasse, who was uh, cooking at Commander's Palace. So, you know, we had a good time. So in those years, you were actually interacting with the soon-to-be celebrity chefs of America. Yes, it was right right when the food movement was starting. I like to date it from Alice Waters in Berkeley, California. You know, we kind of got the idea in Mississippi that – something very special was going on in food. And we started looking at our own foods differently. And so the timing was really, uh, really right for the shop. But so many of the people we had in those early days went on to be celebrities. And But you were a home cook. I mean, you've always 
cooked at home, cooked for family. I, I can remember visiting your family home uh, in Pass Christian, and, and you would cook these elaborate feasts with the one of my favorite Mississippi dishes, the, the shrimp and squash dish. I think that was a, yeah, a recipe it was a, that you a, shared. A shrimp and white squash that I learned from a cook in Pass Christian. And it's that patty pan squash. Yeah, I call them That's spaceships. That's what I call them, spaceships. <laughs> spaceships. The, the flying squash and shrimp recipe. Yeah. The famous flying squash and but, shrimp recipe. But um, I am a home cook, and the Everyday Gourmet was all about home cooking, but adding new style and, and new ways to do it. But my my basic training or boot camp came from Helen Todd in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Your sister. My grandmother. Oh, your grandmother. My grandmother. And oh, okay. I learned in her tiny kitchen to be a home cook. Now, your sister published uh, a cookbook, if I'm not mistaken, because you wrote the forward. I wrote. When we were in Ireland? We were in Ireland, and uh, I wrote the chapters and the foreword, and every day when we were going out in Ireland, I would be coming back that night and <laughs> writing, and then there was... If you remember an old chair in the lobby of the very fine hotel that we were we were staying in, it was the only place you could do Wi-Fi in the hotel. So in the middle of the night, I would go down and sit in this blue chair, One chair. and beam up to the cookbook editor in New York and to my sister. And what was the name? Of, do you remember the name of the hotel? It was named after some famous composer or some such handle or. And I, don't know. I think it was the handle. Yeah, it may have been. I think Bruce selected that hotel. Yes, it was a very fine establishment. It was we great. Were, we were saving money. We were spending our money on food and music. Right. So uh, the Everyday Gourmet, and then after that, what you ended up in Viking working in Greenwood. You were president of the whole hospitality group, which was the cooking school, the restaurants, the hotel, yeah, all it of was, that. It was the dream job of a lifetime. Actually, the Everyday Gourmet lasted for what's still going today even better than ever. But uh, Fred Carl, the CEO of Viking, asked me to come join them as a consultant and Uh help open the Viking Culinary Arts Center, which was a vision that he had. So I got to do that from the ground floor and uh, fell in love with the company and uh, getting to work with a man of vision like Fred Carl. I, I kept the Everyday Gourmet, and so I would do Viking as a consultant during the week and the Everyday Gourmet, and and it was uh, it was a lot to do. And then ended up with the Alluvian and Gardena's Restaurant and the Viking Cooking School. And you had a cool pad downtown Greenwood, because I got to stay there a few yeah, times. Yeah, uh, I had a, a very cool pad with everything that we were trying to do in Greenwood. I really wanted to be a part of, you know, what we were trying to achieve with transforming downtown Greenwood. And so I had a pad right across from from the Alluvian. We were renovating lots of old buildings, and being in Greenwood for those years was just one of the highlights of my life. And you know, kudos to Fred Carl and the Viking Range Corporation. So on this show, as we move forward, we're going to be talking about uh, all things food. You know, this is not a show about restaurants, though we will talk to chefs. This is a show about food. This is a show about what you cook in your home for your family, for your children and your spouse. So we want people to call and and share recipes. Uh, We certainly hope that this will be a recipe swap. Show we've got a, a website where you can view those recipes. Well, 
And the number uh, to call in is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send us an email at food at mpbonline.org. It doesn't start with at. It's food at mpbonline.org. So please uh, let us hear from you, and we will share your recipes. We will talk about food. We're especially interested uh, in being the day after Easter. We'd like people to share with us what they had for their Easter dinner, their leftovers. If you had a little bit left over, what you did with all those eggs. So when we come back from break, we're going to talk about Easter foods, Easter leftovers. So please stay tuned. Welcome back to Deep South Dining. I'm Malcolm White. I am here with my very special buddy, Carol Puckett. We're so glad that she has joined us. We're going to talk in this segment about Easter foods, foods in your family that have been traditional, what you ate yesterday, and probably talk about some leftovers as well. But we had a caller uh, at the break who was asking us for a little more detail about white squash, because Carol and I were talking about a recipe that she shared with me many years ago that I think is an original Mississippi recipe, and that is shrimp and squash. And the type of squash that Carol used and I now use is called a patty pan, right? Yeah, some people call it white squash, or some people like you call it flying saucer squash. Because it is shaped uh, round and it has uh, the, it has little ruffles on the yeah, edges. It's a beautiful thing to see. You'll see it at your grocery store. It, there's there's the crook, yellow crook neck squash there, and then there's zucchinis. But look for the round uh, flying uh, spaceships, and they're called white squash. Or and it, it's pans. most found in farmers markets at the summer. In I mean during the summer here. Uh, you know, one thing I would say is bigger is not always better. It's, it's right. You know, the little you ones are more tender. Yeah, you don't go for the giant zucchini and the you know the giant yellow squash. Right. And so a nice medium size uh, is is really what you're looking for, and so, it has a hard shell. Right, right. It, it's kind of hard shell, but you don't peel it. You just chop it up. Right. You take the the core out. Right. And, I take the core out, and uh-huh. sometimes I peel around the edges. But, so the recipe. But do you do the squash and onions first and and then add the shrimp at, at the very end so that they don't overcook is that right yeah and and you know what i do is saute the squash or either steam the squash lightly mm-hmm. first okay and just then, to tenderize them a little yeah bit. just to tenderize it and um you know sweat down the onions and maybe a little garlic and put the squash in and cook the shrimp for two or three minutes add some breadcrumbs and Pop it in the oven. And you bake it. I bake it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll put the recipe no online. Put the recipe online. That's a fantastic. A, that is a Mississippi recipe, if ever there was one. There, that's for sure. And, and a coastal recipe. We got a first caller uh, on this segment on the phone. It is Thomas from Nashville, Tennessee. And remember, we are deep south dining, so we're happy to hear from Nashville. What's up? Yeah, good morning, Thomas. Good morning. I was. I was I've had... The dressing or the sauce, comeback sauce, both in Mississippi and Tennessee and other states. I just was wondering, what is the actual origin? Because I've heard different things of comeback sauce. Well, thanks for your question. And, in fact, uh, I'm not an authority on much of anything. But I did write 
the uh, the piece in the Mississippi Encyclopedia about comeback sauce. Yes, you did. And, and my theory is that it originated at five points here in Jackson at the old rotisserie uh, restaurant owned by Alec Dennery. Now, and some people would debate that, but I think you're right. I like a debate. What would they debate that it that it might be? They they debate that it could have been made in another Greek restaurant. Okay. Well, I will say this. I think everybody agrees that it started by our Greek Americans who came to Jackson and really created our first white tablecloth restaurants, our fine dining. The Primos are an example uh, of that family, but certainly uh, the Contouruses at the Mayflower. But the Denneries uh, were early on the scene, and uh, it is. It is alleged that Alec, for his new restaurant uh, at Five Points, which is where the old Jackson Mall is, the Jackson Medical Mall, uh, wanted a signature salad dressing. And at that time, the rage in America was Thousand Island. So he experimented with the basic Thousand Island recipe, but he kicked it up a notch. And he, he spiced it up a little bit, and he added a few more extra things and created Comeback. And he named it Comeback because, as you know, it was so darn good that you that just it had to people want to come back, come back for more. So that's that's my theory, and I'm sticking to it. I think it's a good theory, Malcolm. And I, I remember when we were reopening Gardena's when the Alluvian was uh, getting built. It was the first thing that I brought to the table, which was not much, was that we had to have a comeback sauce. Yeah, and comeback and fried onion rings. Mm. Can't beat it with a stick. If you like good comeback sauce and you got a recipe you want to share, uh, I actually have the original recipe written on a uh, a ticket that from one of the waiters uh, waitresses at the time from the old uh, rotisserie restaurant. It's been shared all around, and uh, it's a good one. At Hallamau's, we have our own version. Certainly, the Mayflower has a legendary comeback recipe. One of my favorites. And I think Thomas should come to Jackson to, to experience some real comeback sauce. So, Thomas, I, did I we agree. get close to answering your question? You did. I'd, I'd always heard I'd heard different. It originated Delta, then I'd heard the Mayflower, and I, I did not, I'd not heard your, your theory, but I'm glad, glad to know that. Well, thanks a lot for calling, and we appreciate you listening to us on our very first show. Um, we're going to take another break here. Ah, we're not going to take a break. What we're going to do is talk about Easter, as promised. Oh, so, let's do it. <clears throat> let's talk about what we had for Easter lunch yesterday. Carol, what you got? Well, uh, I had a country lunch with um, my significant other's family mm-hmm. in Edwards, Mississippi. And a country we had, lunch. It was a country lunch. We had a Smithfield ham. It's called a Charles Henry Gray ham. It's coated in brown sugar, and it was named after the man in Smithfield who worked there who came up with the sauce. And so we had ham, biscuits, fried chicken, and then I made a number of different salads. Asparagus are in season right now, and so I took some big fat asparagus and shaved them actually in ribbons. It was something I learned... Uh, in New York, it was a Mario Batali recipe at, at uh, Italy in New York, and it's just tossed with shaved asparagus with Parmesan, a little lemon juice, and olive oil. It's really unique. 
tasty. Tasty. I can taste it now. And speaking of New York, my great friend Diane Williams, who actually grew up in New Jersey, was kind enough to share a story with us about some things that she cooks uh, in and around her home and a little bit of a Easter joy. When I was growing up, no one in my house could cook. So Easter wasn't a time of celebration over the aromas of food, the taste of food, those sorts of things. But I had an Aunt Charlotte. Now, Aunt Charlotte could cook. And what I enjoyed about going to Aunt Charlotte's house around the holidays was the fact that she would make dough for pies and things like that. And I just remember flour everywhere, all on the parchment paper. She had a rolling pin. She would use her hands, and she would beat the mess out of that dough. And, I, and it was something about her dough. When she made a pie, the crust on the top, it had the little crow's feet crawling across the top. But it tastes so buttery. Mm. Unlike anybody else's pies I'd ever tasted. And she could make the best apple pies and sweet potato pies, but that crust that she made and we and she would get me to help her sometimes. And I would have powdery flour all over my nose, my arms would be full of flour because I was trying to mimic what Aunt Charlotte did. I was trying to beat the stuffing out of that dough because she told me that was the only way it was going to be nice and fluffy and the butter was going to just penetrate through the whole thing. So I tried to do what she told me to do. And it was the same thing with cookie dough. And for Easter, she would make uh, cookies and heart shapes and we had those cookie cutters then when I was growing up in the 50s. We had these cookie cutters, and there were all these shapes, and I always had an opportunity to help her. Sometimes those shapes would be like little birds, like little uh, little chicklets, little peeps. And that made me think about the peeps that I grew up with. You know, peeps, there's a history behind peeps. They came out the year I was born, 1953. So they're pretty old. But it wasn't until 2014 that peeps became all seasonal. But when I was coming up, you could only get peeps at Easter time. Now, it was full of sugar, and that wasn't the best thing for children. It was made of corn syrup. It had, let's see, it had um, sugar and corn syrup, gelatin, and all different colors of food dye. Not a health food. But it was a joy food, and no, nobody, and they were marshmallows. Oh, it yes. tasted like marshmallows, and the sugar on the outside was that little coating with the with the colored dye. But you know, peeps weren't so bad, so we were allowed to eat as many as we wanted. Now think about this: they're not very big; they're a few bites, but they're only twenty eight calories. But, you know, that was coming up. We didn't have microwaves and things like that. People did all their cooking. But when I mention peeps today, people tell me, put a couple of them in a microwave and stick a toothpick in each one. Have them face off. Have two peeps in the microwave looking at one another with that toothpick. And when you cut that microwave on, they start swelling up and having sword fights. 
Welcome back. This is Malcolm White with my friend Carol Puckett. You're listening to Deep South Dining. Well, actually, you were listening to Diane Williams, a great storyteller, talking about her peep fight in the microwave. I love (laughs) Diane Williams. She's the grants director at the Mississippi Arts Commission and a dear friend, great artist, fiber artist, storyteller. All right, so today is Carol and I's first show as your new host on Deep South Dining. We do appreciate you allowing us to come into your homes, your cars, wherever it is you are, particularly if you're in your kitchen. But if you miss any part of today's show, you can listen back on our website at mpbonline.org slash Deep South Dining. Or subscribe to the podcast using the MPB Public Media app. And you can listen to any podcast. That's where the recipes will be on the website. If you have any questions, you want to either call us on the phone or send us a question via email, we would be happy to hear from you. And speaking of that. We have Lynn from Jackson on the phone. Hello, Lynn. Welcome to Deep South Dining. Hey, Malcolm. Congratulations on y'all's new gig. Thanks so much. We're having fun. I hope you are as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, in my former career, I used to travel quite a bit, and we found ourselves uh, one day in Greenwood, Mississippi, at the Crystal Cafe for lunch. And the young lady takes our order, and uh, everybody ordered uh, included a salad. So she's going around the table asking everybody what sort of dressing they want. And she gets to me, and I said, come back. And she stops, and she turns directly to me and looks at me closely and enunciates very carefully, what kind of dressing do you want? <laughs> <laughs> I said, uh, y- y'all don't have comeback? She says, no, and I never heard of it. But I'm not from around, but I'm not from around here. I'm sorry, darling, where are you from? She said, Greenville. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I lived a long way from Greenwood. <laughs> Lynn, that was my experience, too, working in, in Greenwood. I mean, they have such fabulous food, and the Italians, most of the restaurants up there were started by Italians from Sicily, and they just had this great wet salad mm-hmm. thing going oh, on. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, but they did not have comeback in, in any of the major restaurants, and that's why we put it on the menu at, at Gardena's, and it's since become a, a tradition there. But uh, I hear you, and she was from far away. <laughs> but, you know, you think about that. Uh, Italian dressing. Let's let's think about Doe's Eat Place, yeah. where they oh, make the yeah. wet salad in the bowl mm-hmm. before they serve it. Now, don't ask for comeback there because they'll tell you to get lost. <laughs> they have one salad dressing, and that's the house dressing. And it's made in a wooden bowl. And uh, for many years, brides in the Delta would bring their wooden salad bowls from their wedding into Doe's for Aunt Florence to make the famous salad in, so it would season Christened. their bowls. It would mm-hmm. christen them, season them, uh, lots of garlic involved. Oh, yeah. I love a good garlicky salad dressing. And the way they packed that salad into the bowl, it just never ended. It kept expanding. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You've never seen iceberg grow so big. <laughs> well, Lynn, we do appreciate you calling in. And for your comments and questions, we are, our lines are open. If anyone has a question about Easter foods, your favorites, or leftovers, We would be happy to hear from you. All right, we're going to take another break, and we want to hear from you. No matter if you're if you're thinking about throwing a party later this week, and you're looking for recipes, meal ideas, give us a call one eight seven seven MPB ring, or email us 
at food at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back after this break. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. Welcome back to Deep South Dining. I'm Malcolm White. I'm your host today, along with my great friend and foodie extraordinaire, Carol Puckett. Hi, Mal. So good to have you here today. And uh, we are delighted to be the new host of Deep South Dining. We want you to call in with your suggestions, your recipes, your questions. We have one from Susan in New Albany who wants to talk about, very appropriately, how to boil an egg. Welcome, Susan. Uh, we're actually old friends. Uh, last name Hickman. Hey, yes, it's so good to hear from you. How's HUD and family? Great, great. He's still working all the time. Susan and HUD are, came from L.A. to uh, New Albany where right. Hudson grew up, Hudson Hickman. Yes. And, and Susan, uh, we're so glad y'all are Back in Mississippi for HUD and in the Mississippi for you. New Albany is on fire. It's a beautiful town, and we do appreciate Thank the call. You. Yeah, well, I, you probably know about this, but I just discovered it in time to make 36 deviled eggs on Saturday. <laughs> uh, now we're talking. Now we're talking yeah. deviled eggs. So um, it's from America's Test Kitchen, in which everybody loves. So do you know their newest technique, which is perfection? I boiled, um, and I was able to peel my eggs. I timed it on my stopwatch on my on my Apple Watch, and I peeled an egg in ten seconds and went on to the next one, which was crazy exciting for me. Do tell. So <laughs> well, lay, lay it on us, Susan. I will, I will. It doesn't matter how old the eggs are. You know, you hear, well, the older the egg, the easier to peel. But I had just bought these. And one thing I do is I lay the carton of eggs on their side for a couple of days in the fridge. That way it centers the yolk so mm -hmm. it's perfectly in the middle. So you take them out and you boil an inch of water in a, in a nice deep, pan with a lid and you put a steamer basket in there you put six eggs in the, the saucepan you cover it you lower it to a simmer after it's you know the water's come to a boil right. um, you boil them for 13 minutes well actually you steam them for 13 minutes then you take them out you put them in an ice bath for 15 minutes. After mm. 15, after 15, I know this sounds like a lot, but once you do it, it's just like, oh, yes, let me do 50 <laughs> more eggs. It's so exciting. So you, after 15 minutes, you pour the half of the water out of the ice bath. You shake the container with a lid on it, like a, okay to say Rubbermaid, like a square Rubbermaid container. Yeah. You shake it. Forty times. Forty, not forty-three and not, not thirty-eight. 41. No, no. Shake it forty times. Forty shakes of a lamb's and, tail. <laughs> <laughs> right. And miraculously, that 
cold technique separates that thin membrane from the egg, and then you just <laughs> takes ten seconds to peel this this dead gum egg. It's exciting. It's very exciting, and particularly for those of you at home who have struggled with boiling and peeling eggs, this is the solution. Coming to you from New Albany, Mississippi. <laughs> it's a miracle. The birthplace of William Faulkner, New Albany. New Albany, Absolutely. Mississippi, That's certainly. Right. Well, thanks for calling, and we will share that with our yeah. listeners. That's exciting, and happy Easter yesterday to you thanks. and to your and family. Congratulations on y'all's new show. Thank you. Thanks so much. All Call right, we got again. A, yeah, another caller, Carol. Who we got? We've got Rebecca from Jackson. Talking about the farmer's market. That's right. Good morning, y'all. Hi, Rebecca. You were asking about what we ate for Easter, and I told Mark as we were sitting there and kind of looked at our plates, and I said, every dish we've got has come from our downtown Jackson Farmer's Market. We had leg of lamb, centerpiece. We had uh, asparagus strudel, and the asparagus and the mushrooms and the onions all came from the Farmer's Market. Yum. Two different vendors. We had uh, roast carrots and rutabagas, which came from Sarah's farm. A shout out to them, and um, and then strawberry rhubarb pie. The I did have to get the rhubarb elsewhere, but the strawberries were also from the farmers market. So. I tell you that rhubarb uh, must have come a recipe from New England somewhere. Yeah, um, rhubarb is up there. Do you have Do you have roots in that area? Well, from Kentucky. Kentucky, um, okay. That's where I'm from, and um, I'm delighted when I can find rhubarb. It's hard to find down here. Rhubarb but does grow in the deep south. It, I, I hear that it does, but um, it's but I love trying it, to find it's it. Especially good. <laughs> we'll put Felder on it. You put enough sugar on anything that tastes good, but rhubarb especially comes through, and the the pretty pink red goes with the strawberries, and it just looked great. It it not only sounds great, but I'm, I imagine it tasted pretty dandy too. Well, it does, and if you come over later, there's some leftovers, but oh, I can't boy. guarantee how long they're going to be here now. Ooh, sounds sounds good. We do and love leftovers, Rebecca. I really appreciate you giving a shout out to the farmers market because all over the state of Mississippi, we have farmers market, and it's our job as cooks to support our local farmers. Right. We need to eat local, think local. And support local. And cook local. And I've found that if you tell them that there's something that you'd like to have, you know, they'll they'll start growing it. Oh, okay. uh, so speak up. Uh, if, if you haven't found bok choy or leeks like you want in the grocery, tell one of the farmers and next growing season, they'll have it for you. And that's the way it is right here in Jackson, downtown Jackson, Mississippi, your Mississippi farmer's market. Rebecca, thanks for your call, and we appreciate the share. And that was uh, sound like a delicious Easter over at your house. And our, we have another caller here calling about the Coca-Cola ham. Kathleen. Now, that's a Southern tradition. Hi, Kathleen. Well, I'm about as Southern as we can get. Everything from New Orleans is up. <laughs> <laughs> up north. You don't, go, you don't go down anywhere in New Orleans. You go up. <laughs> um, it's been in my family for a long time. Now, I can't get real precise, but uh, it's approximately two cans of regular Coke, not the unleaded kind. Uh-huh. Canned Cokes, uh, not bottles. Right. No, just two. Two. You can add more if you want to make more sauce. Okay. Up to you. Ratio is that to two small um, things of uh, maraschino cherries, I guess about 10, 12 ounces, 
something like that. Mm-hmm. And you put the cherry juice in the Coke. Yeah. And you put about, uh, I'd say, a ladleful or a large spoon, uh, cooking spoon uh, full of brown sugar. You can use molasses, whatever you like. And you kind of heat it a little bit. I sear my ham a little bit. Uh, get a hot iron skillet. Just sear it just a little bit. Not just black, just a little. Sear it in oil I, or just sear it in a hot skillet? Well, I, I sear it with some butter. A little butter, margarine, okay. Just a little bit. And just enough to get the outside kind of seared. And then you take a large Tupperware or some kind of plastic container, whatever you can rig up, and you put the ham in it and the... <clears throat> the liquid in it. Now, the trick is you start two days ahead of time, and every time you walk past the kitchen every hour, so you flip it. Uh-huh. <laughs> you make sure it's marinated really good. Everybody, uh-huh. Did you flip the ham? Did you flip the ham? <laughs> becomes a becomes a family game. Who flipped the ham? <laughs> did you flip it last time? That's it. You don't hey, it's your turn to flip the ham. <laughs> <laughs> so when it's done, you put it on a platter, and you take the cherries. Now, you can use red or green. Not prejudice here. Okay. And you get little pineapple circles, and you put the cherry on a toothpick, and you slide the uh, pineapple circle on top. Heat it a little bit just to get them kind of melty, and it's ready. It's not that complicated, and it is good. But when we first started watching my mother put the ha- uh, the Coke on the turkey, we put Where's our Coke? We didn't get a Coke. It's in the ham. It's in the ham. Well, your mother is a smart woman. You know, Coca-Cola was founded right here in Mississippi, in Vicksburg, first Mississippi. Bottled. The yeah. fir- first bottle. That's, That's right. right. First bottle here. Beatenhorn. With the horns. But right. the Coke gives the ham an incredible sweetness. And uh, I-, I liked hearing about the-, the cherries because a lot of people pour crushed pineapple huh. over the Coca-Cola ham. Well, it's a beautiful garnish when you do the way she explained yeah. it with the with the oval slice of, of the of the uh, pineapple with the cherry in the middle. It's a beautiful well, have thing. Have a good day and enjoy everything and I hope your show is just as wonderful as our our uh, picking up the footsteps from Kevin and Deborah and I know you'll carry it forward. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for calling Kathleen from Osaka. And we are excited to talk about ham and ham recipes. Uh, I've got one to share. Um, Now, this one is a Virginia tradition. My fiance, Kara, grew up in Richmond, Virginia. And so they take the uh, Virginia ham, which is a cured, smoked, uh, you know, salted, very heavy-duty ham. And they take the leftovers. They slice it very, very thin tiny like paper cuts uh, and they they make this sauce to put on the little ham and biscuit it is one stick of softened salted butter a little one tablespoon of ground mustard one teaspoon of Worcestershire sauce one tablespoon of minced onions and one teaspoon of poppy seeds and you mix that all together you take a Parker House roll cut it in half on one side, you put the butter uh, mixture, and on the other, a thin slice of Swiss cheese. And you put all these little ham rolls in a casserole dish, cover it with foil, and warm it up and let that cheese melt, and it makes a magnificent ham leftover biscuit. Carol? Well, I'll say I know why you're marrying that woman. <laughs> she is a wonderful cook. 
The and woman can cook. The woman certainly can cook. And uh, for some of our home cooks out there, I'm wondering what you're doing with your leftover ham. What about all those eggs? And the eggs. But um, let's talk just a little bit about ham salad. What an old Southern tradition. Talk about old school. Ham salad. Or deviled ham. As it were, sometimes known. Sometimes. We have deviled eggs and deviled ham. And deviled ham. ham. What what does that say? Uh, It says Deep South Dining is what it says. It says Deep South Dining. (laughs) But uh, I was looking at a recipe last week by Sherry Castle. You might remember her from Southern Foodways. Southern Foodways Alliance and Oxford, Mississippi. There's a symposium every year, and she is from North Carolina and uh, a recipe cook. But her ham salad, which was featured in Southern Living, she used cream cheese and mm. then used it more as an an appetizer. Um, so that salty ham, oh, that, that sweet sal- yes. kind of uh, uh, creamy cheese. Yep. Mixed together. And and she puts uh, a little Creole mustard and cayenne pepper in hers. Now, I know mayonnaise is the traditional, but uh, I thought cream cheese sounded interesting. Like it. Kind of fancied it, fancies it up a little Change bit. Change it up just a tad. Changes you got the whole up. recipe there? Yeah, I do. I'll put it on the on MPB online. That'd be great. We're going to take another break, and we would appreciate your calling with your comments, your food thoughts, your recipes, and uh, we'll be right back after this break. If you want to talk to us, one eight seven seven mp mpb rings Malcolm White with Carol Puckett. MPB listeners pay attention to quality. They look for quality in their work and their daily lives. If your business cares about quality customers, look to MPB. Go to mpbonline.org slash underwriting for more information. Welcome back to Deep South Dining. I'm Malcolm White with my great friend, Carol Puckett. Welcome back to the studio, Carol. Malcolm. So good to have you here. It is so good to be here. Now, this yesterday was Easter. Yeah. And you had a country Easter lunch. Yeah. That's good. But what about for dessert? Well, you know how I love dessert. I do. But I have a confession to make. This is the place to confess. This is, this is the place. Right here on Deep South Dining. I always make. Um, carrot cake is my Easter tradition, mm-hmm. which, which I love to do. But I was having 15 people for lunch, and I started thinking, Primo's strawberry cake. Ah. And I mentioned this in the family, and they were way more excited about Primo's strawberry cake than about my <laughs> own personal cake. And, um, you know, I said, why not? In fact, I brought I brought some leftovers for the guys at MPB to share this morning. I saw but, it out um, there uh, on the table. Look looked I, delicious. I was in Primo's last week, and there was a line. There were a line of people waiting for strawberry cake. So I asked Don Primo's, and he said that it rivals. It is neck and neck with their, their caramel cake as a, a spring cake. But I decided, you know... Why, why, why cook when you have that? Good choice. And I'm sure the family was, was grateful. Let's talk about strawberries because it's almost strawberry season. You know, we are so blessed in this country because we get strawberries year-round from California, from Mexico. But we here in the Deep South have a blessed third season. We get the Ponchatoula, Louisiana strawberry uh, uh, season 
which begins here in a few weeks, and it only lasts for a, a nanosecond. And it's gone. But you can find flats of strawberries in the back of pickup trucks from one end of the highway to the other for about a month, month, maybe a month and a half. And these things are ridiculous. When I was a child, my great aunt Von Seal and my uncle Virgil moved to Ponchatoula. And before they were able to build their own home, they rented a house that I promise you, this is not an exaggeration, was in the middle of a strawberry field. No. We would walk out the door anytime we felt like it during this time of the year and just pick all the strawberries we wanted. Glorious. Now, that would be heaven. But, you know, nary a strawberry has been seen from Louisiana yet. And, you know, I've heard people are looking. They're looking for the truck. So I'm, it won't I'm be thinking long. the weather has a, a little something. Yeah. We've had a lot, of, a lot of rain, right? Yeah, and we need to work on some strawberry recipes um, for next week. I mean, from the simple to the sublime, this would be a good time to talk strawberries. And we here in the South are blessed because strawberry fills forever. Even the Beatles knew. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we are. Uh, our lines are open if anybody's interested in giving us a call, talking about your Easter Eats uh, one eight seven seven MPB ring, or you can email us to food at mpbonline dot org. That's O R G. Ask your questions, tell us your stories. We'd love to hear from you. Carol and I are having a big old time here on our first Deep South Dining Show together. We are, and I'm I'm wondering, Malcolm, about your deviled eggs. I've mm. had deviled eggs at your house before. I make them all the time. I know you do. And and uh, what makes your deviled eggs so different? Well, the, actually, I make them differently all the time. That's because what you makes are them that different. kind of guy. Sometimes mustard, sometimes mayo, sometimes capers, sometimes olives, sometimes sweet pickle relish. I mean, it depends on how I feel when the egg comes out of the pot. I never know what direction I'm going in. Savory, sweet. Uh, you know, it's 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 always a toss-up. But I love making them. I grew up eating them. They're one of my favorite side dishes. Anytime I go in a restaurant and deviled eggs are on the menu, absolutely, it's a must for me. i got to check them out. Well, I remember uh, a Southern Foodway Symposium many years ago where deviled eggs were one of the featured topics. And there were literally dozens of different kind of deviled eggs. I had no idea that that we could do so many. I remember one was pesto and deviled eggs. I mean, oh, people boy. were I, I got very no creative. I, I have no problem with I it like either. I like pesto and a lot of stuff. I love to smear it all over stuff. Yeah, I had some really Toast. good eggs yesterday. Uh, Margaret Palmer, who is part of the Palmer family that I had lunch with, made deviled eggs. And I asked her what was in them. They had just a nice little kick to them and... She said her secret was white wine, tarragon vinegar, yep. and she put just a little bit of Worcestershire sauce. If mm. you if you really taste it, you I can like taste that, it on the back, tangy, of the back of your yeah that your Worcestershire throat. just sort of that kick and a little a little onion powder. But she she mm-hmm. swore the secret ingredient was the white wine, tarragon vinegar. Well, my grandmothers, bless their hearts, didn't have all these fancy ingredients that we have today. So it was a pretty standard deviled egg growing up. It was mayonnaise. It was sweet pickle relish. Of it course. Was a little bit of onion chopped in, very fine, and all that tossed with the egg yolks and then, you know, reintroduced uh, to the egg white. 
Malcolm, do you have dusted, an egg plate? Dusted. Dusted with, with cayenne. Paprika. Paprika. The most paprika. exotic herb, uh, herb in that we had in Wiggins. That's right. Paprika. Okay. Now, do you have a, an egg plate? Uh, I need an egg plate. You got any extras? Uh, Malcolm, that's what I'm going to give you for a wedding present. Thank you. Everybody in the South needs an egg plate. I need egg plate, and frankly, I need oyster plates. But they've become so incredibly valuable, you can't get them anymore. I know, and they're so incredibly expensive. All right, we're going to go to the phones. we got Edgar calling in from Jackson. Hey, Edgar, what's happening? All right, Malcolm. Not yet, Edgar. We're still we're still queuing him up. Okay, uh, <laughs> Edgar's not with us yet. So yeah, we'll let. That's fine, uh, Edgar. If you want to call, we'd love to talk to you. If not, we'll talk to ourselves. But I did want to, um, seeing as this is your first show, Carol and Malcolm, I do want to say um, welcome. Well, Malcolm, you've been here a while, but to the MPB family. But welcome to nine o'clock's uh, <laughs> Monday morning, which is also the, the most delicious hour here on MPB Think Radio. So, you know, appreciate y'all for coming in and, uh, and and continuing the Deep South dining legacy. Well, here's the way we look at it. We can't fail because our producer is his, has a name that is Coffee. With Java as a producer, how can how we go can wrong? How can we go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do we have Edgar yet? Or Harold? We got people. Got Edgar. Hey, man, what's hey. happening? Hey, man, look, I just wanted to congratulate you guys on the show, and uh, that's about it. And tell you, I love devil eggs also. You got, can you share with us a little deviled egg, uh, either recipe or things you like or don't like in your deviled eggs? And we'll make some for you. Well, actually, no. I just like to eat, eat them that's made by somebody else. I don't, <laughs> I don't make them. I haven't made them. So I consume them. So, so your favorite food is the food that others make others, for others you. Others make in terms of devil eggs. You're a wise man. <laughs> I just want to congratulate you guys. Oh, Thanks, man, Edgar. that's awfully sweet of you. Thanks. All right, Harold, what's going on, my man? Well, I am driving from uh, Dallas back to home to Atlanta, and I caught your station, and I'm just loving this. Well, thank you, man. And uh, you're out there trucking, are you? No, I, I'm driving my car. Okay, well, that's trucking in a way. Yeah, I referee volleyball, so I travel all over the country. Like, oh, my you goodness. You referee what? Tell us about that. College volleyball? No, it's uh, club juniors teams. Oh, wow. And uh, we had a tournament yesterday in Dallas. Yep. And there was 106 volleyball courts all in one building. Wow. Now, that's a lot of volleyball courts. All, all indoor, huh? Yes, it is, and I love what I do. And I would bet that you eat a lot of meals on the road, my man. You better believe it. So you you, you want to talk to us about strawberry pie, I see. Yes, yes. I have a strawberry pie that I make for friends, especially in the summertime, and it is so easy. You make a graham cracker crust. Yep. Um. I use uh, like a uh, half a stick of margarine uh-huh. and, and a package and a half, or a, a half of a complete package of graham cracker crumbs and uh, a quarter of a cup of sugar. You melt that all together and press it. Then you take um, Cool Whip and mix it with strawberry jello. And the jello you have to uh, get it hot. But then you have to put ice in it so it starts to thicken. 
before you mix it in with a cool whip. Go fast, Harold. We're running out of time. Okay, and then uh, you take strawberries and cut them up real fine and put it in there, and you blend it all together, and you put it in the Duran Cracker crust. It takes 15 minutes to make it, two hours in the refrigerator, and you've got one of the most delicious pies there is. Man, that sounds terrific. We do appreciate it. Be safe out there on the road. This is Deep South Dining. We are a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We're funded by generous contributors from listeners like you. Our show was produced by Java Chapman. Carol Puckett and Malcolm White say thank you so much. Please stay tuned for Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey, followed by Southern Remedy. Join us next Monday at 9 o'clock in the morning for Deep South Dining right here on MPB Think Radio.